is the final division of this book. And this final division is looking forward to the day where God will restore Jerusalem, but also bring judgment on people. And he's going to do this in different ways. Chapter 9, verse 1. An oracle of the word of Yahweh concerning the land of Hadrach. With its focus on Damascus, the eyes of all of humanity, especially of the tribes of Israel, are toward Yahweh, as are those of Hamath also, which adjoins Damascus and Tyre and Sidon. Though they considered themselves to be very wise, Tyre built herself a fortification and piled up silver like dust and gold like the mud of the streets. And nevertheless, Yahweh will evict her and shove her fortifications into the sea. She will be consumed by fire and Ashkelon. So Tyre mistreated Israel and they're going to be judged one day. They were a seaport. Same thing of Ashkelon. Ashkelon was a major city on the coast of the Philistines. Now remember, we've seen this already with the pre-exilic prophets. Okay, Amos went through all the surrounding nations and judged them. Isaiah went through all the surrounding nations and judged them. Micah went through all the surrounding nations and judged them. And Ezekiel went through all the surrounding nations and judged them. Now Zechariah is doing it as well. Ashkelon which is Philistine territory, will see and be afraid. Gaza, which is also Philistine territory, will be in great anguish, as will Ekron, Philistine territory, for her hope will have been dried up. Gaza will lose her king, and Ashkelon will no longer be inhabited. A mongrel people will live in Ashdod, for I will greatly humiliate the Philistines. I will take away their abominable religious practices, and then those who survive will become a community of believers in our God. Like a clan in Judah and Ekron, we like the Jebusites. Then I will surround my temple to protect it like a guard from anyone crossing back and forth, so that no one will cross over against them anymore and oppress, for now I myself have seen it. So God says, I will destroy all of you Philistines and ruin your religion. But those who survive, meaning that they're not guilty of the judgment, thy will make them a part of my new Jerusalem. They will be my people. Verse 9, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is legitimate, victorious, humble, riding on a donkey, on a young donkey, a fowl or of a female donkey. I will remove the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be removed. And then he will announce peace to the nations. His dominion will be from sea to sea and from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. Now this is the passage that Matthew alludes back to and says that Jesus coming in on the donkey fulfills this prophecy. Now this prophecy is of a king that is riding on a donkey, victorious and humble, and he will rule the entire world. Now you're like, wait a minute. How is he a victorious king sitting on a throne and acting humbly? This is why a lot of people misinterpret Matthews and Luke when Jesus is coming in on the donkey and they're like, oh, look, he's riding on a donkey, which represents humility. And we've talked about this already in other passages, but that's not true. Okay, so remember, donkeys, the wild donkey was not the donkey that we think of. It wasn't like European Shrek kind of a donkey. It was, more, it was a wild donkey, and it was a cross between a horse and a donkey. So it had the sure-footedness and the stockiness of a donkey in hill country, because you don't want to take a horse into hill country, but it had more of the stealth and the beauty of a horse. And so it was a very expensive animal that only kings could afford. Therefore, it became a symbol of kingship. 
So when Solomon was named king, they put Solomon on the donkey and rode him through the streets and declared him king. That's not humility. When Jesus does that, they're all declaring him Hosanna, king, 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 king. And Jesus is not saying, oh, oh, stop, stop. That's not right. That's not humility. That's kingship. But now this passage says he comes humbly. And that's why I think people misunderstood the donkey because they're like, well, that's kind of a pathetic animal in a European-American sense. And it says humble right here. So, okay. But what it means is this. You put in the context, it says that he will remove chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem. When the kings remember when Solomon's brother, Adonijah, wanted to become king, he rode on a chariot and he had a bunch of men running in front of him and he came with military power and said, I am king, I am king. And a lot of people followed him. But the minute Solomon was declared king, the people immediately turned to Solomon and said, Yay! And the idea is that they were scared of their mind out of Adonijah. Okay? If, if the new president comes with a bunch of tanks rolling over people, you're going to be like, Okay, you're president. The same thing. When Absalom, David's son, declared himself king, he made himself king. He came with chariots and war horses and all this kind of stuff. And, and the minute they, and the people followed him, and they, they believed in his fake news, basically. I'm just using that because that's like a famous term. Like, everybody gets it now. But then he, they didn't like it either because he was like, they were afraid of him. But then when David began to win the wars, they were like, oh, okay, we're going back to David now because now we don't have to be afraid of this guy anymore because David treated us well, and now David's defeating him, so we don't have to fear his war horses. And the idea here is that this king, it is so obvious he's a king. He's riding a donkey, kingship. He's ruling on a throne from sea to sea. That's kingship, power, and authority. But he's not coming with a military. Therefore, he's humble. He's not coming to dominate you and to exploit you and bend your arm behind your back to accept him as king. He's not coming to oppress you. That's the humility. He's not arrogant and prideful and seizing power for his own gain. But he still is king. And he still is your authority. And that's what's being communicated here. That's what's being communicated. And this is why Matthew says, you see Jesus, that's power. He healed people. He raised people from the dead. He put the Pharisees and Sadducees in their place, and they couldn't do anything about it. That's power. But he's not like Caesar Augustus, where he came in by slaughtering all of his rivals. And then anybody who ever opposes him, he crucifies them by the hundreds and lies them up on the road. Because in fact, in two weeks, he's going to be the crucified one along the side of the road. And he's not going to force you under his kingship. He's going to say, anyone who chooses to follow me makes me king. And so that's the idea. Kings come whether you like it or not. This king is going to allow you to choose what kingdom you want to be part of. And you're like, oh, wait a minute. But when Jesus comes a second time, right, he's going to force everybody, every knee and every tongue will bow and confess, right? And they'll have to acknowledge him. That sounds pretty oppressive. Well, one, it just says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, meaning that everybody will acknowledge that he truly is the rightful king. But they still have a choice to say, I don't want to be a part of your kingdom. 
And God says, fine, there's a kingdom over here in another dimension where I don't exist and you're free to do whatever you want. And then they go there and they follow their hearts and they create hell. Even then, you still have a choice to be a part of his kingdom or not. That does not exist in the ancient world. Verse 11, Moreover, as for you, because of our covenant relationship secured with blood, I will release your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to the stronghold, your prisoners with hope. Today I will declare that I return double that what is taken from you. And I will bend Judah as my bow. And I will load the bow with Ephraim, my arrow. And I will stir up your son Zion against yours, Greece. And I will make yours use Zion like a warrior's sword. He says, my covenant secured in blood. This is most likely referring to the Mosaic and Deuteronomic covenant where they sacrificed an animal to make that covenant. And in there, God promised that he would judge them for their sins, but also bless them for the righteousness. So he says, because of my covenant that I've sealed in blood, I'm going to come back and I'm going to make good on my promises. And then I will use you, Israel, as a weapon in my bow to eliminate evil in the world to punish the wicked. I have already punished you, and what is left is the righteous. Because only those who lovingly, faithfully obey me come out of exile. And because you are not deserving of punishment, because you're not in exile, I will use you to punish those who still rebel. Then Yahweh will appear above them, and his arrow will shoot forth like lightning. And Yahweh, God, will blow the trumpet and will sally forth on the southern storm winds. And Yahweh, who rules over all, will guard them. And they will prevail and overcome with sling and stones. And they will drink and will become noisy like drunkards, full like the sacrificial basin, like the corners of the altar. On that day, Yahweh, their God, will deliver them as the flock of his people. For they are the precious stones of crowns sparkling over his land. And how precious and fair... Grain will make the young men flourish, and new wine the young women. So a day is coming when I will fulfill all my promises and make you the new Jerusalem, the Garden of Eden. And I will make your enemies drunk with my wrath. They will take the punishment. Chapter 10, verse 1. Ask Yahweh for rain in the season of the late spring rains, and Yahweh who causes thunderstorms, and he will give everyone showers of rain and green growth in the field. For the household gods have spoken wickedness, and the soothsayers have seen a lie. And as for the dreamers, they have disclosed emptiness and give comfort in vain. And therefore the people set out like sheep and become scattered, because they have no shepherd. And I am enraged at the shepherd and will punish the lead goats. What God says, the shepherds that were leading you were misleading you. They were basically telling you something that was lies. They were giving you false prophecies. And you believed these false prophecies. And they led to your destruction. And they led to you being enslaved and oppressed. And so I will destroy those false shepherds. But when I destroy those shepherds, you will no longer have shepherds. Because the shepherds that you were following, they were all liars who told you lies about the culture and about your future and about your economy and about your politics. And you believed it and it led to your destruction. So I destroyed them. But you rejected me as your shepherd as well, which means now you have no shepherd. And when you have no shepherd, you just scatter 
and you go every which way and what, and you follow your hearts into all these paths, and eventually that leads you to cliffs and you fall off and you die. This is the life without a true shepherd. And so this is what God says. For Yahweh who rules over all has brought blessing to his flock, the house of Judah, and will transform them into his majestic war horse. From him will come the cornerstone and the wall peg and the battle bow and every ruler, and they will be like warriors trampling the mud of the streets of the battle. And they will fight for Yahweh and will be with them and will defeat the enemy cavalry. But I will regather you under my shepherdhood, and I will reorganize you as a warrior. Verse 6, I, says Yahweh, will strengthen the kingdom of Judah and will deliver the people of Joseph, and I will bring them back, Israel and Judah both, because of my compassion for them. They will be as though I have never rejected them, for I am Yahweh their God, and therefore I will hear them. The Ephraimites, which represents Israel in the north, just like Joshua, Joseph did, Joseph and Ephraim, because Joseph was a father, and he had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. So anytime you hear Joseph or Ephraim, it refers to Israel in the north, will be like a warrior and will rejoice as if they had drunk wine. And their children will see it and rejoice, and they will celebrate in the things of Yahweh. And I will signal for them and gather them, for I have already redeemed them. And then I will become as numerous, they will become as numerous as they were before. I will restore them from their judgment of being killed and exiled. Though I scatter them among the nations, they will remember in far-off places. They and their children will sprout forth and return, and I will bring them back from Egypt and gather them from Assyria. I will bring them to the lands of Gilead and Lebanon, and there will be not enough room for them and their own land. Yahweh will cross the sea and storms will calm the turbulence and the depths of the Nile will dry up and the pride of Assyria will be humbled and the domination of Egypt will be no more and thus I will strengthen them by my power and they will walk about in my name, says Yahweh. So God says a day will come when I will do another exodus and I will bring you from the exiled nations and I will regather you in a mighty way like the exodus. Open your gates, Lebanon, so the fire may consume your cedars. And how I how fir tree, because the cedar has fallen, and the majestic trees have been destroyed. How oaks bashans a bashan, because the impenetrable forest has fallen. Listen to the howling of the shepherds, because their magnificence has been destroyed. Listen to the roaring of the young lions, because the thickets of Jordan have been devastated. Yahweh my God says. This shepherd, the flock, set aside for slaughter. Those who buy them, slaughter them, and are not held guilty. Those who sell them, blessed be Yahweh, for I am rich. Their own shepherds have no compassion for them. Indeed, I will no longer have compassion on my people. For the land says Yahweh, but instead I will turn every last person over to his neighbor and his king, and they will devastate the land, and I will not deliver it from them. This speaks of a different time period. And we don't know exactly what time period this is because he's not talking about the past anymore. He says, the shepherd now, I will deliver them over. He's speaking about a future time. But this doesn't seem to be in the time period of Zerubbabel and Ezra because that time period, they weren't bad shepherds. They weren't false shepherds that were leading the people. So this seems to be either a time period in between the first and second coming. Remember the first and second returns? Because remember there was a huge like 81-year gap there. 
or it could be referring to a time period after the entire First Testament, like after the time of Malachi. And so there's this false shepherd that is leading them, and they've gone right back into following false leaders. They haven't learned anything, and so God is going to destroy them as a result of that. So I began to shepherd the flock, destined for slaughter and the most afflicted of all the flock. Then I took two staffs, calling one pleasantness and the other um, binders, as in covenant. And I will tend the flock. And next I eradicated the three shepherds in one month, for I ran out of patience with them, and indeed they detested me as well. So I decided to become their shepherd. And I took the staff of faithfulness, or covenant, and pleasantness, or comfort, because that's what I am to them. And I began to lead them. And then the false shepherds that were leading them, I kicked them out. They didn't like me, and I didn't like them, so good riddance. And this is my people, not their people. But then I said, I will not shepherd you. What is it to die? Let it die. And what is it to be eradicated? Let it be eradicated. As for those who survive, let them eat each other's flesh. Then I took my staff of pleasantness or comfort, and I cut it or broke it in two, annual and my co- to annul my covenant that I made with all the people. So it was annulled that very day, and the most afflicted of the flock who kept faith with me knew that that was the word of Yahweh. Then I said to them, If it seems too good to you, pay me my wages, but if not, forget it. So they weighed out my payment, thirty pieces of silver. And Yahweh then said to me, Throw to the potter the exorbitant sum as which they have valued me. So I took my thirty pieces of silver and threw them to the potter and the temple of Yahweh. And then I cut the second staff binders, or faithfulness, or covenant, in two, in order to annul the covenant of my brotherhood between Judah and Israel. So here's what he's saying. So I ruled over them, but they didn't like me. They rejected me too. They mistreated me. And so I decided to take my staff of faithfulness and and, and pleasantness and comfort that I was bringing them, and I broke them. Because that's how they treated me, and that's what they thought of it. And then I say, pay me for being king, because that's what you do, is you pay people to be your kings. And they pay me 30 pieces of silver. And then sarcastically he said, and so I took this amazing exorbitant amount of money, and I threw it away. I threw it into the temple. And the idea is, I ruled over you because I loved you and I brought you comfort and I was faithful to you and I treated you well and I blessed you. And how did you reward me? You rewarded me by hating me and disobeying me. And not only that, you rewarded me by saying, here's your 30 pieces of silver. Here's your 30 pennies. I didn't do it for the money. I did it because I loved you. But when you did pay me, it was insulting that you, that's all you thought I was worth. It's kind of like being a parent. And you love your kids and you sacrifice for them and you do everything because you love them, not because you're getting paid. And then they hate you and mistreat you and rebel you and say, I hate you and I hope you die. And then they're like, here's the 30 pennies that I owe you for being my parent. That would be so insulting. Because not only did they think that you did it for money, but they think that all you were worth were 30 pennies. And then they mistreated you the entire time. And that's what God's saying. So God says, so I broke my relationship with you and I walked away. Because you actually broke it. That's a much, a different picture than what we've seen in the other prophets of what this meant.
Again Yahweh said to me, Take up once more the equipment of the foolish shepherd. Indeed, I am about to raise up a shepherd in the land who will not take heed to the sheep headed to the slaughter and will not seek the scattered and will not heal the injured. Moreover, he will not nourish the one that is healthy, but instead will eat the meat of the fat sheep and tear their hooves. Woe to the worthless shepherd who abandons the flock. May a sword fall on this arm and his right eye, and may his arm wither completely away, and his right eye become completely blind. So God says, so I handed them over to the foolish shepherd. They want to be foolish. They want to follow their own ways. Then I will allow them to have a shepherd that is a fool. And I will allow them to believe the lies of the foolish shepherd. And I will allow this foolish shepherd to lead them into destruction. This is very important for our day and age. Remember, God says that every single leader that is put into power is put into power by His will. But sometimes the leader is put into power to bless us and lead us and guide us. And sometimes it's the foolish leader in order to give us exactly what we wanted because we chose that instead of God. Now my prayer is that whoever it is, may it be a leader of blessing. But the fear is that it might be the foolish leader. And I'm not talking about a specific leader, okay? I don't really trust either one in a lot of ways. But I think we're entering into a new day and age of who our leaders are and why God is allowing them to be that. This is what they have for a while. This is what they have for a while. 